Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from November 1st by Pastor Randy, titled Branches and Sticks. All right, well, it has been a crazy morning for me. You want to pray for uh, my family also. My wife's uh, father passed away this morning. And so she was down there because we knew the time was getting close. And, um, and I'll be leaving this week, but I plan on trying to be back here this Sunday, so I should be able to do that. Uh, so with that going on and then coming here, there's baptism problems and elevator problems. And, and I think I've got everything together. My assistant, lovely assistant, is here is helping me this morning. All right. Now I just got to remember that these are on the other sides. But, <laughs> All right, so yes. Uh, so a question for you guys. How many of you have ever had those DNA tests done to find your ancestors? Any of you guys done that? Okay, one, two, three. Okay, just a couple, not a whole lot. It's amazing what they can do these days. Well, it's one family who's wanting to do that, kind of write down their family tree and, and do some study and research and write a little blurb about some of their ancestors, uh, who they were, what they did, things like that. And they were doing great till they came upon their great-uncle Clarence. And they discovered that their great-uncle Clarence had actually was convicted of, of murder and had been, as a result, put to death in the electric chair. So now they got a dilemma. They want to include him in this genealogy so they can leave it for all the next generations, a neat way for them to see where they came from. But they don't exactly want to murder in their family tree. So here's what they came up with. Great Uncle Clarence occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution. He was attached to his position with the strongest of ties, and his death came as a great shock. Well, it's interesting to know where we came from, because that helps us know who we are. It helps us to, to get a feel for maybe even where we're going in life. And if we study and look at our ancestors, we're going to probably find a lot of things that we're grateful for. But also there's going to be some things, well, maybe not so much. I mean, take physical characteristics. Some of you can look down and see that, that what your grandfather, great-grandfather and father and all that has been passed down to you as physical characteristics. Some of those things you're grateful for and some maybe not so much. And a lot of times what we find is there's things that's going on in our genealogy that we'd like to change. For example, the guy who says, well, my father ran around on, on, on my mother, and his father also ran around on his wife, that's not going to be me. That's not going to be in my family tree. It's not going to happen here. Or the guy who came from a home that wasn't very affectionate, and he says, that's not going to be me. I'm going to be tender and, and, and show love to my kids and to my wife. Or the guy who who has uh, alcoholism in his background, or, or, or woman who has alcoholism in her background, and it's, see where it's come down from, from grandparents and then down to her parents and down to her, but determine it's not going to happen to me, it's not going to happen here. Or even racism, you know, where, where you grew up and you heard those comments and you, you, you heard those jokes in your home and you're determined that's not going to happen to you, it's not going to be part of your family tree, it's going to be different. Well, James and John were disciples of Jesus. 
And James and John had something that apparently had been passed down to them from their father, maybe even further than that, and that was a hot temper. They even had a nickname called Sons of Thunder. Sounds more like a wrestling duo, doesn't it? Sons of Thunder. But that, that gives the implication that, hey, this is something that's been passed down to them. In fact, John had such a hot temper that one time when they were going through these little villages in Samaria, one of them wasn't real welcoming to them. And John turns to Jesus and says, do you want me to call fire down from heaven just to destroy them all? That's a little drastic, wouldn't you think? But that's what a, some person with a temper, that's what they do, right? But then after the resurrection, everything, everything changed. Why? Because now he had a new family tree. It's as if he, he had this whole different uh, genealogy going on because now he's connected to Jesus. And now you read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and you'll see it's not about temper and, and hatred and, and just telling it like this. It's, it's love. It's flowing all through those 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Now, with that in mind, whenever we go through the Gospels, what we see over and over again is Jesus' use of, of metaphor, of, of giving us a word picture. And word pictures are powerful because not only do they help us with our understanding, they have applications and, and implications for our life. And so Jesus would say something like, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And, and that helped people understand not only who they were, but what they were supposed to do. So now we come to the Last Supper, and Judas is left to go begin his, his, his betrayal of Jesus. And Jesus' disciples, they head out to, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they're walking there, headed in that direction, they undoubtedly pass some grapevines along the way. They've probably been there for decades. And so as they pass these grapevines, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He gives us a word picture that he wants them to remember because he wants them to know that, that they're connected to him. He wants them to know that everything depends upon that connection. And so let's look at this, let's look at this scripture in John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. All right. What he's saying is, I'm giving you a word picture I want you to remember. I'm the vine, you're the branches. It's my job to produce. I'm going to give you the nutrients. I'm going to give you everything you need to produce. Your job is just to remain in me. Your job is just to be connected to me. In fact, in starting in verse 4 on through verse 10, he uses that word remain 10 times. Remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. Because if we try to produce joy, if we try to produce holiness, if we try to produce peace on ourselves, it doesn't turn out too well. And so what Jesus does is gather his disciples around him in his last 24 hours, and he doesn't say, okay, I've made this list here for you of 100 things you need to do by 100 A.D. And if you can do these 100 things by 100 A.D., we'll change the world. No. He says, you need to be connected to me. Everything depends upon that connection. You remain connected to me, and I'll do these things through you. Then we'll change the world completely different way of thinking than, than, than how most people think. 
Because it doesn't matter what we get right if we get this wrong. It doesn't matter if we get our morals right, if we get our marriage right, if we get our finances right. It doesn't matter what we get right if we get this wrong. That's how important this is. So we're going to look at this today. A couple things I want you to understand. Number one is this. Their priority was on the connection, not on production. Their priority is on connection, not production. How many of you know that it's real easy to find your identity and what you produce rather than who you're connected to? Yeah, it's real easy. Take marriage, for example. Marriage is it's a great blessing. It's a great gift from God. Well, let me pause just for a minute. I know that we're not a big amen church. And I get that. You know, it's good to hear that. Or so, but, but I understand that. But guys, if there was ever a time for you to amen, that would have been it. That was like a, that's like putting on a t-ball for you. And all you had to do was swing, and you were going to make 100 points at home. You know, so, and women, it wasn't a bad chance for you either. So let's try this again. Marriage is a gift. It's a great blessing from God. Amen. That was almost sincere. All right. Yeah. But oftentimes in marriage, it's so easy for me to underestimate the value of connection and overestimate the value of production for example i come home after work i have a choice i can go for a walk with my wife or i can mow the yard or this time of year shovel the driveway whatever it may be but but i have a choice now i tend to go for mowing the yard because i can check that off my list i can see that it's done i was up that morning yard wasn't mowed now i get through in the evening it's mowed i can get up tomorrow and go yes check i mowed the yard now taking a walk with my wife that doesn't exactly have tangible benefits. I know it's good, but it's not like, okay, I can check that off. I've done that. And so for me, it's always easy for me to choose this, this product. Let me get my things right. To choose production over connection. It's just easy for me to do. This is a constant temptation for me as a pastor. Because as a pastor, I'm tempted to think that production leads to connection. I'll come in on a Friday and go, I've got sermon I still have to prepare for. I've got a choice. I can spend time connecting to God, or I can take that time I spend connecting to God, and I can use that time for production, for working on my sermon. And God understands. He certainly understands if I've got to kind of take away some time from connection in order to do production. But here's the irony. The more time I spend in connection the easier my production is. It's sort of like if you dig a well, then you can get to water. That's a lot easier than trying to get to water where a place where you haven't dug any. And so that's, uh, that's, that's what is so tempting for me to forget. And Because and, I realize I'll stop and every once in a while I'll go, you know, I'm in bad shape if I think that production leads to connection. Or if God looks at me and goes, 
I'm so impressed by what you're producing. See, I'm tempted to think that way. That God's going to look at me and go, boy, what you're producing, I'm so impressed by that. Now, if you think that God is impressed by what you produce, or if you think that you're producing leads to connection, you've missed the gospel. Totally missed the gospel. Here's the thing I want you to see, that it's connection that leads to production. If you, ne- if you neglect the connection, production is not a little less impossible, not slightly less impossible, not sort of impossible. It's completely impossible. If you neglect connection, it doesn't matter what's going to happen. That production is impossible. Because the way being a Christian is designed, it's God in us. Paul's most famous word is, is where he uses more than all over to describe a Christian is in us, in us, in us. And if that's not going on, if this connection is not happening, it doesn't matter what you're putting out over here. It's worthless as far as God is concerned. Because everything is about the connection. So what this passage does in John 15, it forces us to ask three questions. Number one, do you value the presence of God in your life? Do you value the presence of God in your life? Don't let anything that ultimately means nothing keep you from what means everything. See, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you care or not, God wants to spend time with you. He wants this. And he knows that this is going on, this will happen. So his priority is on this, the connection. Started out that way in the beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden. God walking with them in the garden. It ends this way in Revelation 21.3. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Do you see that? Three times it's all about being the connection. It's all about being with them. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you so so you can be with me. It's all about this. One of my favorite stories that I just love to, I love sort of putting myself in the, in the place of that story and being there because this just what it means is that woman who, who had gone for many years of her life, like 12 years with this bleeding issue, this hemorrhaging that was going on. So for 12 years, she's been bleeding on the inside. And, and, and I've known people and dealt with some of my parents and everything that's had bleeding issues. They're just weak all the time. You know, they can't figure out why they can't do anything. Then, then the doctor says, well, you've got this bleeding that's going on the inside. That's why. So she's got this bleeding issue for 12 years. Here's Jesus coming to town. Well, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed, she says to herself. So this woman, one strike against her, probably older, bleeding, probably weak from that, manages to somehow make her way through the crowd of people that was always around Jesus. She makes her way through the crowd and is able just to touch the hem of his garment, which means to me she's down low. You know, she's either near the ground, I mean, to, to, to do it. she's just down low, but she managed to touch the hem of the garment. Then Jesus asked what to everybody else around him was a stupid question, who touched me? And they're like, you got to be kidding. 
People are around you everywhere jostling you back and forth. Because in the Mideast back then, just like today, they want to be in your face. Have you ever known any people in the Mideast and, and you discover that they want to be close when they talk? So Jesus says, I felt the power go from me. And so, so this, is, this, is, this is how, when I look at that, I go, wow, that must have brought Jesus great joy. Because nothing excited him more in the Gospels than when somebody reached out to him in faith. And he was able to meet him with, 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 with his faithfulness. He loved it when people, that excited him when he saw people reach out to him in faith and he was able to, to come to him and prove his faithfulness. That excited him. So this, it had to excite Jesus to see somebody just, just from nowhere just come and, and express faith in him like that. But then, I think also it had to make him very sad because that whole crowd of people that crowd was full of people who needed to touch him like that woman touched him. Who needed, may not physical healing, but, but maybe who needed relational healing or, or finances or, or something else was going on in their life. They needed that. But they were content just to rub elbows with him. How many times do we so desperately need this, but we're content just to be around Jesus, just to rub elbows with him. Remember Martha? She was content to do what? I'm cooking a meal for Jesus. I'm producing. I'm in the kitchen producing. But Mary, no, producing wasn't good enough. She had to have Jesus in her heart, not just in her home, but in her heart. Oh, that we could grasp this that we could grasp this, the, the value of the presence of God in our life. The second question this causes us to ask, how do you know if you're connected or not? How do you know if you have that connection? It, for me, it's kind of like the, the girl that goes out on a date and she comes back to her dorm room or her house or whatever and, and her girlfriends are asking her how was the date and she starts talking about, oh, he took me to this fancy restaurant, had these tablecloths on them and, and, and these things hanging from the ceiling and, and the waiter had all these little, you know, just fancy ways of doing things and, and the other girl's kind of, yeah, okay. But then the girl comes home from a date and her girlfriends ask her, how's the date? And she goes, it was awesome. He was totally awesome. He took me to Denny's. He could have taken me to Costco and got $1.50 drinks and hot dogs at Costco. It didn't matter. This guy was awesome. The girls are going to go, tell me more, tell me more. Because she's excited now. See, you talk about what you're excited about. And when you're doing this, people are always excited about this in Scripture. Excited when they make a connection with God and they talk about it. Because you talk about what you're excited about. Another evidence that you're connected is not that you're talking to God, but that God is talking to you. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And if you go through your life and, and you keep ignoring the voice of God or you got so hard-hearted, you get to the point where you don't hear it anymore. But people know they're connected. Why? Because God's talking and they hear His voice in their lives. It may come through the Bible. It may come through preaching. It may come through other people. It may come through a song. But they hear God's voice constantly. 
Another reason that you know you're connected is because in Scripture, God demands five things of us to do these five things just like He does. We've been over this many times before. He wants us to love, to serve, to accept, uh, to, to, to forgive, and to be holy just like He does. And guess what? When you're connected, those things are easy. Why? Because it's God's life flowing through you. You're not trying to do that. You're not trying to produce that within yourself. It's just happening. Those things are easy. Anybody here for easy? Yeah, we all want easy. And when, when those five things are a struggle, to love others, to forgive, to serve, accept, and, and, and to be holy is a struggle for you, there's something wrong here. Something very wrong here. The fourth way you know you're connected, let me ask you this. Have you ever written anything like a psalm? And here's the first question that would come to my mind, and maybe for some of you, I have no musical talent whatsoever. What do you mean write a psalm? I have no way of, of, I'm not musical at all. But what's behind David's motivation for writing all those psalms was not musical talent. What his motivation behind all those psalms was that he took time to reflect upon God. He just took time to, to be in the presence of God. He just took time doing this, connecting. Now, why is it that the thing in my life that I know that I need the most, that I know will bring me the most joy, is oftentimes the thing I want to do the least? Spending time connecting to God. But when you take time to reflect upon God, there's just going to be things that... Oh, I never thought of that before. Oh, I didn't realize that before. Things that just come to mind like they did to David. He says, consider the heavens, the work of your fingers. He just takes time to reflect upon God in Psalm 8. He just says, oh, God. And he just takes time to reflect upon God. That's how you know you're connected. But here's verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Hmm. Being disconnected. Here's a question that we're forced to ask. How does a branch become disconnected? How does that happen? How does a branch become disconnected? You can tell when a person's connection begins to fade... They have become disconnected to that, but yet, but you can tell when it becomes to fade by, by how they're starting to treat other people. Because they tend, tend, people, when their connection begins to fade, I just tell you this from experience, they become very judgmental. It, it's not about what they're doing or not doing, it's about what everybody else is doing. And so they get up in the morning, not God, what do you want to do in my life? They get up in the morning thinking it's their job to critique and criticize what everybody else is not doing around them. So you can tell it begin, I can tell it begins to fade at that point. But what Jesus is saying is that when a branch becomes disconnected, it's no longer a branch, is it? You know what it is? It's a stick. It's not a branch, it's just a stick. And here's the thing. Every stick has a story on how it got disconnected. 
Some branches get disconnected because of a storm. We see that happen. We get high winds around here. Whenever they come through, I go in my backyard, and I got lots of these laying around. Why? Because they weren't connected very well. Sometimes a branch is disconnected because of a storm. Could be a death in the family. Could be a divorce. A financial storm, relational storm. A storm comes through and all of a sudden it reveals they weren't connected very well at all. So some branches become sticks because of a storm. Some branches become sticks because of disease. They start to rot from the inside. Then all of a sudden the leaves wither and the fruit begins to shrivel up. That's sin. Unconfessed sin. It can be people who are just content with sin. I'll just live with this in my life. And they allow that disease to come eat them away. It can be people who have sin planned on their calendar. I know what I'm going to do when I get out of church today. Or Monday or next week. And they have it planned on their calendar. That can cause a branch to become disconnected. I love this story. By Philip Yancey. He tells of a time where a friend calls him up and says, let's have coffee. And so they get to the restaurant. And as soon as the coffee gets poured, this guy, he just drops a bombshell. He says, my wife and I have been married for 15 years. I'm divorcing her. I'm leaving her for this other girl that I've met. She's younger, prettier. But he says, it's just time for a change. It's time for a change. And then he says, he, tell, he, says, he tells this to Yancey. He says, Yancey, the only thing I need from you, I just need to know this. Will God forgive me? When I come out the other side of this, will God forgive me? And Yancey says, he takes the time of a long sip on his coffee and looks at him. He says, you want to know if God forgive you? Yes, God will forgive you. But you're asking the wrong question. The question you ought to be asking is, will you want to be forgiven? And what he's saying is, when your heart gets so hard, there's a time when you don't even want this anymore. And he says that's exactly what the guy did. He left his wife, left his family, left his friends, left his church, and he left God too. There's a lot of sad stick stories out there. And you see this put in different ways in the Scripture. Uh, I just want to go through these real quick. Here's what Paul says. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So I won't become another sad stick story. Here's what Jesus says. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its, salt, its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Becoming a sad salt story in that case of a stick story. Or read this in Hebrews. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's a rhetorical question. How are we going to escape? The answer is no. You go through chapter 12 and you'll see what you want to escape. But here's what he says later on in Hebrews. As it is said, and he says this three times in this section, okay? The same words three times. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in rebellion. 
Don't harden your heart. In other words, do something. Don't get to the place where, where you just allow this to take place to do something. If you're not connected, don't cover it up. Don't try to hide it. Do something. It's so tempting, so tempting to think that we can make it through our lives doing this and skipping this. To think if we do enough of this, that this over here is going to happen. It doesn't work that way. You're missing the gospel. you got to spend the time here. You spend the time here, and it's Jesus' job, it's God's job to get this to happen through you. You can't do it yourself, and whatever you do wind up doing yourself is worth nothing. Because if you're not connected, you're no longer a branch, you're just a stick. We've seen enough sad stick stories around. We live in this culture where we think that, you know, what can I do for God? And skip this. And many of you, you face the same temptation I do. But God, I'm certainly you understand that I've got to fudge a little bit here so I can spend more time doing this over here. And if you think that God is ever impressed by what you or I ever produce, if you think that's what impresses Him, wow, look what He did. Boy, He did a, a great, put together a great Bible study, didn't He? Put together a good sermon. Boy, that was sound, darling. He did. No, God's not impressed at all by that. This right here is what impresses God. So if you're not connected, do something. Don't just cover it up. Don't just pretend it's not going on. Do something. Do something. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.